0: Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.PleasantValley.cc.
1: Well, hey, y'all, good morning. Welcome, good to see you. Has anybody in the church been married for 65 years? Yeah, almost there. Annie and I are only like forty-seven years away, so we're getting close. But I heard the story uh, of a couple that been married for sixty-five years, which in and of itself is awesome. But what's really cool is in sixty-five years they never had one single fight. So there was a newlywed couple, and the young man approached the older man. He said, "Sir, I how what's your secret? Sixty-five years of marriage, no fights." help me. And so he said, son, let me let me tell you about our wedding day. He said, we were leaving the church on a horse to go to our honeymoon. And he said, all of a sudden, the horse my wife and I were on refused to go any further. So he said, my new bride in her wedding dress, she got off the horse. She walked around. She looked that horse right in the eye and she warned him and said, that's one. She climbed back on the horse. He said, then we go about an eighth of a mile and the stupid horse did it again. Stop, wouldn't go. My new bride gets off the horse, walks around, looks in the eye, warned him, says, that's two. Gets back on the horse. He said, we go 100 feet, and that daggum hard-headed thing stopped again. He said, this time, my wife gets off the horse, goes around, puts a revolver right between its eyes and shoots it dead. And, And the husband said, honey, what are you doing? You can't just go around shooting horses like that. She looked her new husband right in the eye and said, that's one. Heard Annie say amen there. That's a little scary. Uh, today's message is a warning from the Lord. Just like that wife gave her husband a warning that made him behave for 65 years. And all says, today is a warning from God. Today is a warning from God about a demonic evil spirit all around us right now. So welcome to Pleasant Valley. We're so glad you're here. Turn with me to the book of Daniel. We're starting today our new study in the Old Testament book of Daniel. It may be a little tricky for you to find. It's between Ezekiel and Hosea, as if that helps. Uh, The book of Daniel, while you're looking there, here's the context. It's the sixth century BC, meaning it's about 600 years before the time of Jesus when this takes place. God's people in Israel had been disobedient to God for hundreds of years, rebelling against him, and God had warned them in places like Deuteronomy 28 and Isaiah 39. God gave specific prophetic warnings. He said, if you, Israel, won't repent of your sins and honor me, I want to raise up a country called Babylon. And they're going to come into Jerusalem, burn your temple down, kidnap all y'all, and make you captives in a foreign country. Well, Israel didn't take heed to the warning. And that's where we pick it up in Daniel chapter one, verse one. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, now Judah here is God's people and King Jehoiakim was their king who wasn't a godly guy, by the way. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. So the Babylonians were in this case the, the enemies of God's people. They were the foreign country that was gonna come take Israel over. By the way, they were in what's modern, in modern day Iraq. So the Babylonians came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. Today, we would say it was a foreign invasion. It would be like what what Russia has done with Ukraine. They crossed the borders, and they're going to try to take over. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah, that's the king of God's people, over to King Nebuchadnezzar. So it's an act of discipline, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. By the way, that's a fulfillment of direct prophecy. From 110 years earlier in Isaiah 39, where Isaiah said, Israel, the Babylonians are gonna take you over. They're gonna go in your temple, take the vessels out of the temple and take them back to their home country. Very specific, and it happened. So the Lord handed King Nebuchadnezzar over along with some of the vessels from the house of God. King Nebuchadnezzar carried the vessels to the land of Babylon to the house of his God. Notice in the text, that should be a little g God, meaning it's a false God. So Babylon is a pagan nation that worship false gods. And then they put the vessels in the treasury of his God. So this would be kind of like the king of a Muslim nation taking over Owensboro, making us captive, stealing everything out of all the Christian churches in Owensboro and then putting them in a Muslim mosque in a Muslim country to try to kind of mock our God. That's what the Babylonians are doing. By stealing the church stuff, they're saying, our God is better than your God. Your Jewish God, he's a phony. He's a fake. The Babylonian God is the true God. Verse three, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Asphanez, his chief eunuch, remember that, that's gonna be significant in a few minutes, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. This is also a direct fulfillment of prophecy from 110 years earlier in Isaiah 39. God literally prophesied, I'm gonna make Babylon steal some of your best boys and put them under the authority of a eunuch, and it happens. God's word is fulfilled. Here's who they are, verse four. Young men, without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. So King Nebuchadnezzar commands his people, go to Israel and kidnap all their Abercrombie models. This is what he says. I mean, he's very specific. He said, I want the good-looking dudes, but not just good-looking. He says they better be intelligent, athletic, smart, like get, get the leadership potential. You know, get the ones with all A's, get the ones getting the full rides to the universities. That's who I want. Verse four, he was to teach them. That's these young Israelite, bright young men. Teach them the Chaldean language and literature. In other words, steal these young men and enroll them in the University of Babylon where for three years they'll get a liberal arts degree. Verse five, the king assigned these young men daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend to the king. Let me me summarize. The king of Babylon is kidnapping, we would say today, human trafficking, the best and brightest young men in Israel. He's going to immerse them in Babylonian culture, indoctrinate them in Babylonian philosophy and teaching send them to the secular university for three years, also that at the end of those three years, these young men will be intelligent, they will be well-educated, and they will serve in the king of Babylon's highest court. That's the plan. So, who are these young men? Verse 6. Among them, from the Judahites, were Daniel, the main character of the story, who most scholars think wrote the book of Daniel, but also three of his best friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, verse seven. The chief eunuch gave these young men names. They already had names. He gave them a new name. He gave them the name Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach in the fiery furnace? That'll be in two or three weeks from now, but we're already introduced to these three young men. Now, so not only are Daniel and these three Jewish boys gonna be immersed into Babylonian culture and education, but their new master is commanded to change their names from Jewish names to Babylonian names. I don't have time to get into all the details, but he gives them specifically pagan names that honor the pagan gods of Babylon, that they are in the fullest sense changing their identity It's the slow process of indoctrination, but it only goes deeper. Now, guys, as we're reading through Daniel over the next several weeks, we're gonna see so many modern-day cultural relevancies. Daniel and his comrades are essentially now forced into gender reassignment surgery. Notice in verse three and verse seven, they're put under the leadership of the king's chief eunuch. A eunuch was someone that had been castrated. Many scholars believe that this would have been forced upon Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well, demasculated. Scholars estimate Daniel was between 13 and 15 years old when this happened. So here's what's happening. You got a teenager who had been raised in a godly home with godly values and a godly church and he's been human trafficked, forced to go 700 miles to another country, but not to some like fun country, you know, like Belize or Costa Rica where there's a beach. He's, he's been human trafficked into Babylon as an exile, as a slave. Babylon was not where you're going to go on your honeymoon. It's not a place you take the family for vacation. It was a godless country with... Godless values, godless leadership, godless education and university systems, godless culture. So, so Daniel is like a fish out of water. He, Modern day example, Daniel was like the Alabama basketball team going into Lexington, Kentucky yesterday. Not a chance, 20,500 crazy screaming at you. That's what Daniel is, he's being immersed in all seriousness. Daniel is a light that's being thrown into the darkness. Daniel is gonna be thrown into a lion's den, literally and figuratively. Daniel is a child of God being taken as an exile into Satan's territory in Babylon. Speaking of Satan, let's talk about demons, as I told you we would. We're gonna go to seminary class for a few minutes and do what's called biblical theology, which is a fancy way of saying, kind of like how does the Old Testament and New Testament connect and what are the major themes of scripture? One of them is Babylon. Babylon is a country here where Daniel was held captive along with countless other Um, Jewish people. By the way, you know Babylon is going to be a bad place when the Rolling Stones name an album after it. Y'all thought I only knew country. I'm so culturally aware. Uh, you, You first see Babylon in Genesis 11. This is biblical theology. What happened in Genesis 11? The tower of Babel. Babel, Babylon, see what God did there? So in Genesis 11, you had a group of people who did not love and know God, but they wanted to be their own God. So they physically built an actual tower where they were gonna try to make it to heaven to to like be great for themselves. Just like, by the way, Satan in Ezekiel and Isaiah, Satan, you guys know, was once an angel himself, like a good angel, who tried to usurp God's authority in heaven. That's why God kicked him out, by the way. That's when he became the Satan. Well, that's exactly what the Babylonians were doing with the Tower of Babel. It's, they're, they're demonic. They're already trying to take over God's glory and name. Now, fast forward. Later in the Old Testament, Babylon becomes an empire, an empire that would take over other countries like Israel. They're, they're gonna burn the temple to the ground. They're gonna take all the, the Jews captive. That's where we are in Daniel, okay? But then around 539 BC, the empire of Babylon was actually conquered from a military perspective and taken over, and they don't exist anymore as an actual country, even today. But all throughout human history, the spirit of Babylon lives on, because the spirit of Babylon is actually, the Bible says, a demonic spirit under the rule and reign of the devil himself. So in 1 Peter 5:15, you don't have to turn there, but here... The apostle Peter, this is hundreds of years after the country of Babylon ceased to exist. Peter says, uh, Babylon's still here. He says to Christians in 1 Peter 5.15, almost using Babylon as a code name to refer to the godless, evil, antichrist culture and world all around them. Peter said, Christians, you're living in exile. You're living in Babylon. In their sense, it was Rome at that time. It was Babylon, the country, then it was Rome, and and now it's the whole world system against God. Because fast forward to the book of Revelation, where we were last week. Daniel and Revelation, you're gonna see, have a lot of similarities and overlap. They're the two apocalyptic books in the Bible we talked about last week. In the book of Revelation, you have three straight chapters where we're talking about the end times, When the Bible talks about the Antichrist, Satan, and this spiritual evil entity against Christ, it uses the term Babylon to describe that demonic evil force. Let me just give you one example, and I'll give you a few more later if we have time. Revelation 17, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names, blasphemy against God. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with everything detestable and with the impurities of her prostitution. We're gonna see later one of the primary prevailing traits of the spirit of Babylon is sexual promiscuity and gender confusion. More about that later. Verse five, on her forehead was written a name A mystery, Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes and of the detestable things of the earth. So this demonic, evil, dark force going against Christ at the end, its name is Babylon. Now in the next chapter in Revelation 18, Jesus at the end is going to destroy the demonic spirit of Babylon and all the world powers that go with it, throw them into the lake of fire forever. But that hasn't happened yet. We're in between, we're in the already not yet, meaning right now, the evil spirit of Babylon is still alive and well and has infiltrated our society and culture today. Let me summarize. I know this is a lot to take in. There was a historical nation called Babylon where Daniel was held captive 2,500 years ago. But the Bible teaches there's also a demonic spirit, a demonic entity, a demonic force Name Babylon, that is at work in the world right now, and we're living in it. Christians, like Daniel, we are living in Babylon. Though we live here, this world is not our home. We are exiles. We're Daniel. We're the light in the darkness. The whole world, the Bible says, is the devil's playground. Ephesians 6, Christians, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this. Look at what Paul says present darkness. I have this, I think it's called like seasonal affective disorder or something like that. In other words, when it's cold and like gloomy and dreary outside, this time of year, like I get down and it affects my mood. So you know those days when you wake up and there's no sun and it's rain and it's gray. So, oh, it's so depressing. Well, those days characterize theologically what Paul says the whole world is really like. When Paul defines the current culture, he says it's the present darkness. Now there's, there's lies, there's Christians. Right? Like we're, we're, we're trying to bring light, but the prevailing theme of the world is darkness, because we're going against the spiritual forces, Paul says, of evil in the heavenly places. 1 John 5 says, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Brothers and sisters, this is not Mayberry. Like, I know we're in the Bible Belt, but this is not Mayberry. This is war. There's spiritual warfare going on all around us, and if we could see it, it would scare us to death. And this spiritual warfare is actually one of the main themes of the New Testament. In fact, you can't talk about the kingdom of God without talking about the cosmic clash between God and the devil, Christ and the Antichrist, demons and angels, good and evil. The kingdom of God is characterized, Jesus says, by spiritual warfare, Matthew 12. Jesus says, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, you know the kingdom of God has come. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is... It is me versus the devil. It's me showing my authority over the demonic. It's angels versus demons. And then John comes along in First John 3 and says, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason Jesus came, was to what? Destroy the works of who? The devil. Because we often limit the scope of the reason Christ came. Yes, Jesus came to save sinners and praise God for that, but that's not the only reason Jesus came. Jesus didn't just come to save sinners. Jesus came to destroy evil. Jesus came to reclaim this world as his own. He will dethrone Satan and place himself on the throne on planet earth. Jesus' initial devastating blow to the devil happened when Jesus died on the cross, Colossians two fifteen. It comes from the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3, chapter uh, Genesis 3, verse 15. God said to Mary, or to the woman who would eventually become Mary. Hey, you're going to have a baby. The devil's going to strike his heel. Your son will crush his head. That happened at the cross. So, so in, in, the, in, a, in the cosmic sense, Jesus threw a devastating blow to Satan when he died on the cross for sinners. He, he, he initiated the reversal of the curse. But while Satan is wounded, he ain't dead. 1 Peter 5, he is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. John 12, Jesus says, Satan is the ruler of this world. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he's the little G God of this world. Satan is real and he's all over the place and he's got workers. I sometimes envision him, I don't know if it's helpful, a no offense if you got pit bulls, is is a ravenous, rabied, psychotic pit bull who wants to bite everybody that comes around but, but he's on a long chain. He's tied to a tree, so I mean the pit bull can't just do anything. But 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 he's got a long leash. And anybody that comes close, he'll bite the fire out of you. So, so Satan, in a real sense, is under still the authority of God. But in this current, present darkness, God is allowing Satan to do a lot of stuff. And his demons. That's where we live. We live in Babylon. This is a war zone. and And the general of the Babylonian demonic army is the devil himself. But here's the catch. Hollywood would portray Satan in a way that the Bible does not. The evil forces of Babylon, their goal is not to make us get 666 tattoos and paint pentagrams on our kid's bedroom wall and have us all play with Ouija boards and, and, you know, and like literally, oh, hell, King Satan. Of course, there's a very limited group of people in the world that actually do that, and that's evil and demonic. But But most of us are way too sophisticated and educated for that. So I mean, Satan's tactic is not to try to make you get 666. This is what he does in his subtlety and manipulation. The evil spirit of Babylon wants to take our eyes off God and to conform us into the image of this world. Satan lives to brainwash us. This is why Paul says things like in Romans 12, you better renew your mind. Our minds are the devil's playground, and he's going to use media and culture and education systems to infiltrate our minds and change us to conform us to the engine of the world. If he can't make us worship the devil, he'll make us live like the world and render us ineffective for the kingdom of Christ. Now, watch this Babylon came after Daniel when he was a teenager. The spirit of Babylon has not changed. Today, Parents, grandparents, the spirit of Babylon is coming after our kids and our teenagers. Parents, grandparents, school teachers, I mean, all of us that have any coaches, any influence over young people at all, we better pray like we have never prayed before because our children and their children, they are under attack from a real enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy them. That stuff is Real. I'm not talking about like Boogeyman, Hollywood. I'm talking there's a real enemy and a real cosmic force that we can't see, but it's there and it will destroy families and marriages if we'll allow it. And it preys on the young and the vulnerable. So today, what I want to try to do is show us three schemes and tactics of the Prince of the Power of the Air, the spirit of Babylon. First, Isolation. The spirit of Babylon seeks to isolate us from God's people and God's word. Verse three the king ordered Asphanaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. So again, Daniel and others are taken 700 miles away out of their godly homes, out of their godly churches. They're separated and isolated from all godly things. When they go to Babylon, there's no Christian churches there. There's not a single Christian in Babylon initially, right? I I mean, there's no Caleb, there's no Christian radio, like there's, there's nothing. They're immersed in the darkness, isolated. Now, why would the spirit of Babylon do that? Because the spirit of Babylon knows that you'll walk like who you walk with. Young people, me and the rest of us are just a little bit older than you. We can tell you who you will be in 20 years with almost perfect accuracy. Young people, in 20 years, you will be the people you're hanging out with right now with very few exceptions. You'll become who you hang out with. The spirit of Babylon knows that. So his strategy is to remove you and to isolate you from godly people and godly friends and godly influences. Because Babylon knows that to program us to live an ungodly life, they gotta keep us away from godly people. Isolation and separation. Now, we're gonna get serious here for a few minutes. The first sign that someone's soul is in danger is when they begin to slowly pull away from the church. And from God's people. I mean, I, I, I've been 23 years of gospel ministry. I mean, I ain't old, but I've been doing it for a little bit. And I can give you countless examples. The first time a soul is in danger is when a person or a family begins to pull away from the church and the people of God. Let's go to scripture, Hebrews 10 let us Christians consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. There are over 60 one another commands in the New Testament. Love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, confess your sins to one another. You can't do biblical Christianity isolated from other Christians. You can't do it. You you literally cannot obey the Bible disconnected from the people of God in the local church. Can't do it. Because how are you going to practice all the one another's if you're not with God's people? Verse 25, look at what he says. Don't neglect gathering together. I heard people say, well, the Bible never says you got to go to church to be a Christian. Well, it doesn't say you have to go to church to be a Christian, but it does say if you're a Christian, you'll go to church. The Bible never says I have to go to church. Yes, it does. Like, first of all, if we're even having to like debate that, there's a problem in our heart. Like, if you're looking for a biblical excuse to not have to be with God's people, we got much deeper issues going on than what kind of music they're playing and what color the carpet is and what denomination it is. We got deeper issues going on. The Bible says don't neglect gathering together as some are in the habit of doing the average american professing christian goes to church 2.1 to 2.4 times a month do the math the average american christian goes to church 20 something times a year but we go to countless social events countless ball games friends our our issue is not we don't have enough time We ain't got the right priorities. You'll make time for what's important. And if we go to church 22 times a year, but we go to 15,000 social events with our kids, that's who our God is. So he says, don't neglect gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but look at this, encourage each other. But you can't encourage each other if you're not with one another encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. That's the final day of Jesus' second coming. So the Bible says, because times are only getting more intense, because the world's crazy, because all the demonic activity, because Jesus is coming back, all the more reason we need the church, all the more reason we need a community group, all the more reason we need one another. So so watch, the Spirit of God says in the word, Gather together with God's people. Gather together for community. Gather together for accountability. Gather with God's people for the church. But the spirit of Babylon always counterfeits and contradicts the spirit of God. Anytime God says something, the devil will come along and say the opposite. So the spirit of God says, go to church. Spirit of Babylon says, you don't need the church. You don't need the church. You and Jesus, y'all are good all you need is Jesus. You don't need the church. Well, what they don't tell you is to have Jesus is to have the church. You don't get the groom of Christ without the bride of Christ, his church. You don't get Christ the head without his body, the church. There is no churchless Christianity. The spirit of Babylon will whisper in our ear, you don't need the church. They're hypocrites. You don't need the church. They just want your money. You don't need the church. You don't fit in there anyway. They'll never accept you because of your past. You'll never be on their spiritual level. You don't need the church. Those people weren't there for you when you needed them the most. They didn't even come to the funeral when your family member passed. They don't. They don't even love you. You don't need the church. Don't you don't need to worry about going to church every Sunday. You worked hard. You worked sixty five hours last week. You deserve to sleep in, man. Like, you gotta take care of yourself. You need you time. You don't need to be in a community group. You don't need an accountability group. You gotta be at all your kids' activities, or you're a bad parent. Look. Let's just shoot straight for a minute. There's a thousand excuses to disconnect from the church. And you know what? The church will let you down. I can unfortunately say, if you stick around here long enough, we'll let you down. And I can guarantee you, I will let you down at some point because there is no perfect church. We're sinners and we drop the ball all the time. And hey, there are valid complaints. We could all raise against every church in Owensboro and, and you could raise a 1,000 complaints against this church, and a lot of them would probably be right. So I'm not denying any of that. But here's what we need to know. When we start feeling that disgruntledness with our church and other Christians, when we start to slowly disconnect from God's people, when we find ourselves always agitated about something with the church, when we find ourselves complaining about our church more than we pray for our church. Look, I'm just, I, I just say this because that, that's exactly what the Spirit of Babylon wants to do. The Spirit of Babylon wants to pull us away from God's People, the darkest times in my life have been when I've isolated myself from Christians. The devil hates you and he wants to pull you away because we are so much more vulnerable when we're alone. Because if the enemy can isolate us and get us in a dark room on a Sunday morning, he will start whispering lies in your head. God's not really here for you. If God were for you, why would he be letting your family go through all this suffering right now? The enemy will whisper when you're alone. Those people at the church, they don't even miss you when you're not there. You haven't been there in a month. Nobody's called you. They don't love you. The enemy will say, your faith's not even real. You're such a phony you're a hypocrite. I saw what you did last night. I saw what you looked at on social media. You're, you just give up on following Jesus. You're a freaking joke. And this is a big one today. It's super, super commonplace for a lot of Christians right now are like investigating, you know, different theologies and different ways of thinking. And, and so Here's what the enemy will do. You know, you're rethinking your theology right now. So you need space from the church to figure that out by yourself. Like you don't need to be distracted by your church's teachings. You you need to get away and figure it out by yourself. All of it is lies from the pit of hell because the enemy will isolate us speak lies into us, and if we're not plugged in with God's people, there's no one there to counter the lies with the truth of God's word, and if you hear lies long enough, eventually you'll believe them. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how to say this poetically or elegantly. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart through the Spirit of God, we need the church The church is so jacked up. I can't even tell you how dysfunctional the church is. I mean, your leaders make mistakes. They were so jacked up, but we so need one another still because we're so jacked up. All the more reason for grace and forgiveness and prayer for one another. Because we need God's people, 1 Corinthians 12. We need community, Galatians 6. We need accountability, James 5. We need to be under, this is not popular in 2024, but we need to be under the authority of godly leaders, Hebrews 13. I'm under the authority of my fellow pastors. I'm not some long-ranger dude that just does what I want to do. I need authority in my life. I need men that love me well enough to slap me around if I need it. And we all need that. We need to be hearing the word of God expounded and taught every week. You're like, well, of course you would say that. You're the preacher. 1 Timothy four thirteen. Devote yourselves, Paul says, to the Public reading of Scripture, not just you and Jesus in a deer stand, or just you and Jesus on the recliner on Sundays like that. It's good to have quiet time with Jesus, but you need public time with Jesus, the Bible says. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, or exhortation, and to teaching. The Bible says we need to be sitting under the word of God, expounded and all. It's why Christ gives teachers to the church. We, brothers and sisters, I love Spotify. I love Christian music. Like I love being, you know, sometimes working out. It's either Tyler Childers, Eric Church, or um, a Christian band. It's like. And so it's good to have personal worship where you're singing in the shower. But friends, the Bible says we need to hear other Christians sing over us. Ephesians five nineteen, minister to one another, through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing together. I need to hear you sing the gospel on Sunday because some Sundays I don't believe it. I need you to remind me it's still true. Because if you're falling apart and you're like, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore, but if there's 800 people around you praising God, I trust in God, my Savior. You're like, okay, if he's good to them, he must still be there. You need the church. You need the church. In the Bible, there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. It's an American cultural phenomenon, but it doesn't exist. It's part of an individualistic society and culture where we value the self over the group. It's not biblical. So brothers and sisters, are you finding yourself isolating more and more when your Christian friends text you like, hey, i missed you in community group. Man, I, I haven't seen you. Where have you been? Are you starting to not respond to them? Are you pulling away? Is it becoming easier for you to skip church? Are you not in any kind of discipleship group or community group or biblical accountability group? Are you always looking for excuses to disconnect from Christians? This is just this is a warning. There's something deeper going on in your life than you realize. And you may not be consciously choosing this, but the spirit of Babylon is trying to isolate you. Because watch this. People always drift from people of faith before they drift from their faith. Nobody ever left the church and came out closer to Christ in the end. On that note, I want to say a quick word to high school and college students. When you all go off to the university or to the military, or to the workforce, or wherever you go. Please, whatever you do, make your number one priority to find a faithful Bible-preaching church and get plugged in. For the sake of your soul, because listen, especially those of you that are going off to secular universities, you don't know this, but trust me, you are gonna be like a lamb led to the slaughter. You're gonna be fed lies from professors and social agendas. They're gonna to try to indoctrinate you and you are gonna be a sitting duck The Satan's playground, his college campuses and 18 to 25 years old because you're so vulnerable and you're so vulnerable and you are so moldable, and you want to re- overreact from your parents' religion and your grandparents' religion and Satan will pounce on you. You better immerse yourself in the church in the word of God and God's people or it's game over for you. Satan is picking off young people raised in the church left and right. And we just send them off to the universities with no guidance, no prayer. We, they're like lambs being led to the slaughter. They need our prayers. They need accountability. They need moms and dads to stay on them. Young man, get your butt in church. So the first strategy of the enemy is isolation. The second strategy is indoctrination. The spirit of Babylon seeks to indoctrinate us with the godless values and beliefs of the world. Verse three, the king ordered Asphanaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. So again, for three years, Daniel and the boys are going to the University of Babylon. But this isn't just education; this is indoctrination. So there's nothing wrong with learning calculus and and history and and all these things. That's, that's common grace and knowledge that we can learn of, and God's not threatened by that. But but when you go off to the university and the Babylonians, they they weren't just learning Babylonian history, they were being indoctrinated into Babylonian science and philosophy, which included new age spirituality. So astrology, which the Bible speaks against, dream interpretation, uh, omen reading, like weird new agey stuff. They were indoctrinated in all of that. Babylonian religion, false gods. And look, they're doing the same thing to our kids today. It's the spirit of Babylon. Here's what what our kids are, are hearing. Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. That's so old school and narrow. That's your grandparents' religion. Like, they're from the South. Like, there's all the religions lead to heaven. I mean, look around you. There's kids from all over the world. Some of them never even heard a Christian sermon. You're telling me that they can't go to heaven, too? It's like, and young people are like, yeah, that's that's a good point. You see how subtle the enemy is? Here's what the enemy is saying to our people today. It, It doesn't matter who you sleep with. You be you. Don't get given like your parents' far right wing religion. You be you. Sleep who you want to sleep with. God loves you. Like, God's cool with that. God wants you to be happy. Here's what they're saying your body, your choice. Do what you want to do. You're good. Look, the Spirit of God teaches doctrine from the Word of God, the Spirit of Babylon indoctrinates with the world. The whole world is a massive broadcasting system, and the CEO is the devil himself. And his worldly system is, is seeking to strategically brainwash us. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, I'm still in this from Pastor Friend Josh Howerton. He says, first, what he calls choice architectures. This is a, a strategy of the enemy. This is when somebody manipulates the way that options are presented. So they force someone to a desired outcome. Here's examples. The spirit of Babylon will ask you, hey, Christian, um, are you pro-choice or do you oppose women's rights? Th- those are your only two choices. You're either pro-choice or you hate women. Which one are you? Mr. Fundy? Y- you see? You're like, oh, well, gosh, I don't, I definitely don't hate women, so I guess I, guess I gotta be pro-choice. Here's another one, okay, hey hey, you christian people are are you affirming or do you practice hate and bigotry? Which one are you it, it as if those are the two options you see here's another one now look, all the emails I'm heading forward to Jay. Do you support christian people? do you support a biological man competing in women's sports or? are you one of those nasty people that oppose toxic masculinity and patriarchy? Which one are you? Do you see the strategy? Those are false categories. Those are false dichotomies designed to manipulate us to a desired choice. For example, we can be for women's rights and against abortion. That's the Christian way, you see. Nobody loves women more than Jesus. Nobody in the history of the world has done more for the liberation and the empowerment of women than Jesus of Nazareth. But at the same time, Jesus loves every little baby, red, yellow, black, and white in the womb. Nobody loves babies and nobody loves women more than Jesus. You ain't gotta pick one or the other. See, don't listen to the lies of the world. Friends, look, We can oppose the transgender movement without being a male chauvinist or bigot. We can love the person, love them, and care for them and have them into our homes. And and it's like, come to church with me, and you could sit by me. You could come to my. We can love the person wrestling through gender stuff. But at the same time, be against the movement that's deceptive, right? So when we accept the world's categories, we will eventually accept the world's conclusions. So just be mindful of how the spirit of Babylon will try to indoctrinate us. Now here's a second strategy. Uh, The spirit of Babylon will use repetition and reinforcement. Joseph Goebbels was the chief minister of propaganda in Nazi Germany during World War II. Here's what he said. This is scary that he admits this. He said, "Repeat a lie often enough, and it will become the truth." It's indoctrination. You hear something a thousand times, you subconsciously start to believe it. So, in in our culture, we don't like drop lies as propaganda by like. Airplanes flying over Owensboro, you know, like they did in Germany and like drop it into the city and you pick it up and read all this. That's not what we do. The, the way we repeat lies to the culture is through late night talking heads on the evening news. And that's on the left and the right. Can I, can I say this in a conservative church? Some of us are being uh, discipled by Fox News, a lot more than we are the Word of God. And to be an equal opportunity offender, some of us need to spend less time on MSNBC and CNN and more time in the Word of God. Don't let the culture disciple you. let the word of God disciple you, Because Fox ain't CNN and MSNBC and all of them, they all got an agenda, and it's not Christ. Now that may have some good values along the way, but you but that doesn't mean... They're doing it for the glory of Christ. So, so there's late-night news people. And then here's what else we do: we indoctrinate through repetition with secular agenda-driven viral videos on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. This is more maybe of a young person thing. So this is a warning for y'all. But we also do it through hashtags on social media. So all the hashtags and all all the trending stuff on Twitter, they sound innocent and catchy, but watch this. There's always an underlying agenda because who is the CEO of the whole movement? It's the devil himself. And we don't realize it, but the messaging we're receiving on social media that's trending is actually reprogramming our brains to think like the world. Let me give you some examples. Hashtag, you do you. You're like, yeah, I like that. You do you. It's about time I do some me. That's right. I'm always doing for other people. I'm gonna do me for a while. The world says, hashtag, you do you. Jesus says, deny yourself. The worst thing you can do is you. Hashtag love is love. I mean, like, who wants to like refute that? Like, who's going to stand up in a college class and say, no, like, I'm not for love. Like, you you, you see how it's like subconsciously, subliminally manipulating us? Love is love. But the truth is, if it's not how the Bible talks about love, it's actually not love at all. It's dangerous and destructive. Hashtag, follow your heart. Yeah, I'm always listening to everybody else. Dang it, I'm just going to follow my heart. God comes along, Jeremiah 17, your heart is desperately sick and unbelievably deceptive. Whatever you do, don't follow your heart. It'll lead you to hell. You, you, do you see how the enemy counterfeits the word of God and contradicts? Okay, let's do it. These are so fun. If y'all have ones, text them to me. Maybe I can include them. Um Oh, somebody gave me one after church in the first service, and I forgot. It's I think it's YOLO or something. You you only hashtag you only live once. You only live once. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Newsflash: Chlamydia does not stay in Vegas. Okay, that wasn't like. It's getting late. We should probably land the plane because I'm pretty sure I just talked about chlamydia. I did it in the first service, and it was awkward, and, and I did it again. Why did I do that? You got to be honest, though. That's pretty funny. I actually heard a pastor say it one time, and I have stole it from him. So email him. No, seriously. Okay, here's another one. Hashtag uh, good vibes. I, no offense if you've done this because, like, it's, there's grace, whatever. We're like, well, Christians, what does that even mean? Like prayers and vibes, like that's so new agey. Like there's no, what is a vibe? Are you guys gonna help somebody from a hundred miles away with like throwing a vibe out? Like it's just, like seriously, it's not biblical. Like it's just stupid, right? Like it's, but you see how we just talk like the culture? Like no, they can pray for me, don't vibe me. All right, let's do another one. Hashtag, only do what makes you happy. Dang it, I'm gonna start. It's time for me to be happy. But Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 lose your life if you wanna find it. There's there's nothing wrong with the pursuit of happiness, but if you wanna find happiness, don't pursue happiness. If you wanna find happiness, pursue God. Because in his presence, there's the fullness of joy. Everything else is counterfeit and superficial. One more. Hashtag, stand on the right side of history. Like, who who do not want to do that? Who wants to be the oddball at work? Who, stand on the right side of history. Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. You see, so all the cultural jargon and hashtags sound good, they sound is enough, but each of those phrases I've just read through has a hidden definition of the meaning of life, and they're all contrary to the Word of God, ultimately. Brothers and sisters, just because something is trending on Twitter does not mean it's from God, and if we're not careful, people of God, we'll end up living by hashtags, not Bible verses. Our goal, Pleasant Valley, is not to stand on the right side of history. We want to stand on the right side of eternity because history is going to be judged by the spirit of Babylon. Eternity will be judged by the son of God. All right. It's totally time to go. Like, And so if you need to leave, you can do that. I totally won't be disrespected, but I really need to get in this third point because this is important, okay? this When y'all come to the third service... You get unfiltered, Jameis, and you got no time restraints because we ain't got to get other people in the parking lot. So, like, I'll, I'll stay till 2 o'clock. I'm just, just going to say. So, if you want to, like, get out at a reasonable time, come to the first two services. Number three, seriously, this, all right, let's get serious again, and this will be, I, I can do this in five minutes, all right? Number three, the spirit of Babylon is a spirit of sexual sin, promiscuity, and gender confusion. Now, guys, look, these categories I know hit close to home for a lot of people in this room. I know this is sensitive. This is highly emotionally charged. This is not a joke. Like, people are hurting dealing with sexuality and gender. Like, this is serious. So we're not like, this is not like to be judgmental. This is not to take shots. This we got to be humble when we have these conversations. At the same time, brothers and sisters, God has not called me as a pastor and God's not called us as a church to be politically correct. God has called us to stand faithfully and courageously upon his word, even if it goes against the grains of the culture. Brothers and sisters, God's not called your pastors to tickle your ears. God has called your pastors to tell you the truth. We're not gonna do it judgmentally. It's not our heart. To the extent when we've talked about these issues and they've come across with anger or judgmentally, because I, I can do that in my flesh. That's I'm wrong, I need forgiveness and your prayers for that. Our desire is to speak about these issues with love and humility. Truth and love, grace and truth, that's the way of Jesus. So that being said, here we go. In the book of Revelation, lot about the five-minute part. In the book of Revelation, when we see this evil spirit of Babylon, she is by and large characterized um, by attacking God's design for um, human sexuality. I'm not gonna read through all of them for the sake of time, but if you wanna jot down these verses, Revelation 17, one and two, Revelation 17, four and five, Revelation 18, two, Revelation 18, 9, over and over again, watch this. When the Bible talks about Babylon, it uses language like the kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with Babylon. She's the mother of prostitutes. They became drunk on the wine of Babylon's sexual immorality. Babylon the Great, they, they drink her sexual immorality. They commit sexual, over and over again, when the Bible talks about the spirit of Babylon, look, it's always wrapped up in sexual promiscuity. Like, all sins are awful, and in a real sense, all sins are the same, you could say. But not, I don't believe that all sins carry the same weight from the enemy and and, and have the long-term same repercussions and consequences, some sins are more likely to entangle you in other stuff than others. And sexual promiscuity and dysfunctionality and gender stuff, it's right at the top of the devil's list of ways to entice and tempt and destroy. Because we're just going to shoot straight here. Satan knows if he can get in a person's pants, he can take down a whole family. And if Satan can get in enough pants, he can take down a whole society. And if Satan can make us forget what it means to be male and female, he can destroy a whole civilization. And he's doing it right before our eyes. Can, can can I just say this? When a five-year-old little girl is being told by highly educated professionals that she may be a boy, that is an act of warfare by the principalities and powers of darkness. As unless our heads have been in the sand, I hope we see, we are in the middle of a massive sexual and gender revolution that's Way beyond what happened in the '60s. Like if you were at Woodstock and all that, that's great. But like, no, th- this is a whole new level. This is a slippery slope. This is Romans one stuff. This is like God's going to give them up to reprobate mind. When you start changing the basic essence of what it means to be made in the image of God, male and female, He created them. You're you're distorting. Oh, that God has done through human civilization. Notice the strategy of the enemy in Genesis 3. Remember the serpent, uh, the devil in the form of a serpent, he comes up to Adam and Eve. Look at what he does. He was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Look at the devil's strategy. He doesn't come with a pitchfork and fire out of his mouth, saying like, worship me and get a pentagram tattoo. It's not, he, we're too smart for that. Here's what he does. He curiously questions God's word. Now, he, he's almost respectful. He doesn't say blaspheme and hate God, because he knows he'll lose this. Satan's like, huh, God, did God really say you can't eat from that fruit? Oh, Eve, come on, girlfriend, look. It's natural to want to eat fruit. You're watching your figure. You were born with a desire to eat fruit. God made you this way that you want to eat good, healthy things. That can't be wrong, right? I mean, would a loving God tell you not to eat something good for you? you? You see what Satan is, you see, he curiously questions. Now, listen closely, and do you hear the spirit of Babylon today? Watch this. Did God really say it's wrong to have sex outside of marriage? I mean, come on, that's like stuff from the leave it to be. That's like the 50s. Come on. It's it's 2024, people. Like, how are you gonna know if you wanna marry them if you don't live with them for a few years first? Like, how do you even know? It's a natural urge. Like, how can something so natural be so wrong? You love them, you're gonna marry them. Did God really say sex outside of marriage? You, you see how he does that? Did did God really say Looking at porn is a big deal. I mean, men, come on. Women, come on. I mean, at least you're not actually with the other person. All these other dudes at work, they're actually having physical affairs. Porn ain't hurting nobody. After all, she ain't meeting your needs anyway. You deserve it. You, you see how Satan will do it? Right, let's go, let's, let's, let's keep digging. LGBTQ. The Q can stand for queer and or questioning. Questioning. There's nothing wrong innately with asking questions. In fact, wise people ask good questions. But remember, Satan loves to counterfeit and contradict everything God made good. So Satan loves taking good things like questions and twisting them for evil intent. Satan is the father of asking questions that lead not to truth but to confusion. Hear his voice right now. In our culture, did God really say sex is only between a man and a woman in marriage? God's a good God. God loves you. Why would God make you attracted to the same sex if you weren't allowed to have sex with them? That would be cruel. God's not cruel. Therefore, God wouldn't do that. Did God really say it was between a man and a woman? Okay did Did God really say you're a female i mean let let's be honest you are much more like the boys than you are the girls. you always have been i mean you didn't it's not your fault you all the other little girls want to wear dresses and play barbies you you didn't want to do that stuff you want to play with the boys. you'd rather shoot guns and, you know you'd rather dress like a boy. Are you sure God doesn't want you to be a boy? I mean, God loves you. He's for you. God wants you to be you. Like, why would God want you to live a way that you don't feel like you're supposed you're 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 created? You see how, you see how he questions. All right, in conclusion. Satan doesn't just seek to cause confusion with the stereotypical sins of the culture that we conservative Christians love to judge. Now it's about to get real for a minute. Because I got amens, I got people nodding and all that when I talk about LGBTQ. But Satan's also whispering this to Christians. Did God really say divorce is that big of a deal? I mean, I know you don't have biblical grounds for divorce, but you don't even love him anymore. Like, he doesn't even really love you. Like, you've grown apart. God wants you to be happy. Let's be honest. Both of y'all would probably be happier without each other. Like, God wants you to be happy. Divorce isn't that big of a deal. Everybody's doing it. Your girlfriends are telling you, leave him. You deserve better. Conservative Christians, we can point fingers at LGBTQ all day, and we can boycott and hold picket signs, you know, and at the library all day. But some of us need to look in the mirror first because some of us are looking at porn. We're as right-wing as right-wing can be, and we always vote the right way, and we got the right bumper stickers, and we're gonna stand and protest LGBTQ, but if you're looking at porn every night, you're an adulterer. How many of us are pointing fingers at the gay community? But married people, we're withholding physical intimacy from our spouses. In First Corinthians 7, there's a direct connection between letting the devil get in your bed and not being together physically. I didn't say that, God did. And brothers and sisters, we're pointing fingers at the left when there are Christians getting divorces without biblical grounds. And our sin is just as bad. It's all the spirit of Babylon. All right. Let's let's stand together. I'm I am sorry for going significantly over. I hope that God will use this. Here's let's bow our heads and our music team's going to come and but here's what we're going to do. Guys, we we need to pray. Okay. We we need to pray before we go home. And so we're going to do warfare prayer. I'm going to invite as many of you as feel led to come down here to the front and let's let's get on our knees in prayer. Guys, listen, the way we do spiritual warfare is not through social media campaigns and and boycotting stuff like Disney. Like the, the way we do warfare is by getting on our knees. And so we're gonna put a verse on the screen from the Lord's Prayer where Jesus said, pray like this, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray that verse together as a church. Hey, y'all, let's let's pray that for our kids. Let's pray that for our grandkids. Let's pray that for... Our church. Let's pray that for our marriages. Let's pray that for our schools. Let's pray it for our colleges. Let's let's do warfare prayer in Jesus' name together.
0: Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.